up for that. All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 43. It's a great New Year's text, but uh, let's stand as we open God's Word. I'm going to talk about the subject of turn the page. <laughs> Redemption is near. As you turn the pages of these great prophets in the Old Testament, you see that they were full of words of warning, but there was also a message of redemptive hope in the midst of all of the warning and all of the discipline and the, the, the suffering that the Jews had endured. There were constant words of hope to say, but hang in there. It's going to get better. And uh, let's look at what we can learn from their example. If you start with verse 14, it says, This is what the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, says. Well, we could stop right there and just be reminded this morning that our God is a Redeemer. No matter how bad you think life gets, God is able to redeem your situation and glorify himself and give you what is very best for you in the midst of it. And then he says, the Holy One of Israel, a reminder that he's going to do the right thing. Because of you, I will send to Babylon and bring all them as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. This is what the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the surging waters who brings out the chariot and the horse, the army, and the mighty one together. They lie down. They do not rise again. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. Even now, it is coming. Do you not see it? Some translations read, will you not know it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. The animals of the field will honor me, jackals and ostriches, because I provide water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people I formed for myself will declare my praise. Father, we want to do that today. We want to take time to declare the praise of the one who created us, but also the one who redeems our life from destruction who crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Lord, I pray that we would embrace you, knowing that when we do that, we embrace all that you have for us. Help us to focus first and foremost on that relationship, laying aside New Year's resolutions and giving ourselves, Lord, to a fresh commitment to Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his holy name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Some of you may have seen a little announcement that I made concerning the service today where I referred to a 1973 song by Bob Seger. There might be some classic rock fans in the congregation. I think that's why I like Third Day so much, Jeremy. It's that classic rock sound, and I'm a a kid of the 70s. But he sang a song called turn the page, and it's actually kind of sad to listen to because he's saying, man, I'm out here lonely and cold and on the road again, and I keep waiting on the page to turn, and every time for him that the page turns, it's the same old story again and again and again. And sometimes a new year comes, a new day comes, a new week, a new month, and we just feel like we are doomed to repeat that which we've already 
experience. But when you begin to turn the pages of these prophets, as Israel would see, as they would turn the page of their history, even when they were living it in the present, that they would discover that they had a God who was going to redeem them from those consequences that they had experienced and would experience again and again. Isaiah is prophesying during that period of time known as the divided kingdom. He's primarily preaching to the uh, southern kingdom Jews of Judah there while the northern kingdom has already fallen or is in the process of falling into captivity of the Assyrians. And he's confronting what most of the prophets would confront in that day, ritualism. They were going through the motions. They were saying, as Jeremiah would put it, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord. Look, we go to church. We got it all together. We're okay. We've got God on our side. They were going through the ritual, going through the motion. But at the same time, they were committing just gross sins of idolatry, getting into all kinds of immoral behavior as they worship these false gods and worship these idols. And when I teach on the prophets, Dr. Trump, over at Emmanuel, as you do, I always remind, and I'm sure you do the students, that we're just as guilty of that kind of ritualism and that kind of idolatry today as they were uh, 2,600 years ago. We get where we're like, well, I'm going to church, so I must be okay. I'm going through the motions. I'm, I've got good attendance in my life group, and I serve in the community. I'm going through the motions, but yet we get caught up in our own American idols, the things of this world that we pursued, that those things that John would call in his first epistle the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We all struggle with idolatry, ultimately a self-centered life to some degree. And in the midst of that, Isaiah is saying, but there's a future hope. God is going to allow you to suffer the consequences. He's given you a choice, Israel, and he's given us a choice. Church, you can choose, as I said a few weeks ago, you have the the freedom to choose. You don't have the freedom not to choose, nor do you have the freedom to choose the consequences of your choice. But in the midst of suffering the consequences, there's going to be a future hope. There's going to be a restoration of Israel. And ultimately, there's a messianic hope that Jesus is going to come and then come again. And he will make all things right in his time. And so the New Testament will then quote, under the New Covenant, he will, the, the various authors will quote Isaiah 65 times. That tells me we don't need to unhitch, as one pastor said, ourselves from the Old Testament. We need to understand it and understand the foundation that it laid so we can better understand who Jesus is and what he came to accomplish. In the first 13 verses of this chapter, you see that there were choices and consequences, and in the midst of that, that God is still sovereign. The very first verse, this is what the Lord says, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. The God who created you is the God who redeemed you. So you are are twice his because you were made by him, and then he gave his life ultimately through his son, Jesus the Messiah, who would redeem you and make you his own. He would buy you back and give your life meaning and value for his glory once again. And so he will accomplish his purposes because he is still a sovereign God. His, his actions to accomplish his pur- purposes may seem painful at times. And certainly the nation of Israel would say, 
to Isaiah the prophet, we don't understand then if God is a redemptive God, why do we have to go through all of this again and again for him to get our attention? Why will we have to endure our own captivity when when the Babylonians come in and, and ultimately destroy Jerusalem, the city that we love? Why do we have to learn things the hard way? And, and, and God, why are you doing it this way? Why are you allowing me to go through what I'm going through right now? And we ask those same questions. And Isaiah later would say in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than your ways and your thoughts. In other words, you don't have to understand. You're not God. You do have to trust that God knows what he's doing. And it's always for his glory, and it's always with our best interest in mind. Even in their captivity, we read in verses 14 and 15, really a prophecy that came true when Cyrus would conquer Babylon, and God would use pagan kingdoms even to accomplish his will. And sometimes we get all been out of shape wondering what's going to happen in certain nations around the world if, if the nation we live in is not policing those nations, if we withdraw troops and that sort of thing. And, and listen, I know there's military strategy that is far beyond what I can ever comprehend, but I also know that God has it all under control. The nations are in his hands, and all things are coming together to serve his ultimate purpose, even in the consummation of the ages And I don't know if he's going to come back today, but I know we're one day closer today than we were yesterday. So how do we kind of turn the page, experience our own redemption? Are we just to sit and and soak and sour and wait on the Lord Jesus to return? How do we experience redemption again and again in the season of life that we're in today? What can we learn about the character and nature of God and how he worked with his people Israel? These things were written and recorded so we might learn from their example, God's nature, our nature, and what he wants to do in our lives. Well, the first step that I want you to take this morning is, and maybe you want to plan, New Year's is a great time to plan to do this, the end of this year, the beginning of a new year. But number one, reflect on God's hand of deliverance throughout your life. Isaiah would remind as God's voice remind Israel of how God had worked in their past. Look at verse 16. This is what the Lord says. By the way, he is the one who makes a way in the sea and a path through the surging waters. God had parted the Red Sea to set them free from a season of captivity before when he led them out of Egypt and they were trapped there against the sea and and Pharaoh and all of his chariots and horses were there. He brought them forth, verse 17 says, and then he caused them to lie down and not rise again. He extinguished them like a wick when the Red Sea closed in on Pharaoh. When it closed in on his armies, God handled Israel's enemies then. And he's saying, remember what God has done in the past to deliver you? That's the God you're serving. And so you might find yourself in those situations again. I would love to tell you this morning, listen, 2019 is going to be the best year of your life. God knows that in 2018 you had more than you can handle. So he's going to let you just kind of put it in 
neutral, and coast through 2019. It's going to be a piece of cake. I would love to be able to tell you that, but you would probably be very angry at me because difficult times are going to come even in 2019. But the same God who has delivered you in the past can deliver you from whatever you face in the future. He can be the one who does a redemptive work today from those things that seem to have you pressed against those Red Sea moments, those insurmountable obstacles that you feel like have you in a place where you are just trapped. That could be your sin. Remember what he did in the past when he saved you? Think back to the time that you first heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and truly understood it and truly, sincerely responded by faith and said, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need a Savior. And I believe that you died for my sins on Calvary's cross. I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I, the best way I know how I turn from sin and self and I put my trust in you. And Romans says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Whoever calls on his name, sometimes we're like, well, did I do it right? Did I I say it right or what? Listen, if you, like Peter, drowning in that sea of sin, reach up and say, Lord, save me. I believe in you. And you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died in your place, was buried and rose again. God's not some kind of tease that would convict your heart of your sin, call you to repentance, and then say, oh, I don't think you did that right. When we turn from sin and self, now it's got to be legitimate, it's got to be authentic, it's got to be sincere, but when we turn from sin and self and we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that turning is called repentance and that trust is called faith and through repentance and faith, we came to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And again and again and again, he has to deliver us from sinful habits and hang-ups in our lives, and he is faithful to do that. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Maybe that insurmountable obstacle was overwhelming grief that you, you, you had in the past, and some are even experiencing in the present, and you're thinking, you know, God did get me through that, and he will get you through that again. Maybe it's unreal expectations, financial expectations, academic expectations. Maybe they're talking about that on the retreat today. Unreal expectations. Maybe your vocation puts unreal expectations before you, and you're like, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I get through this season of life. The same God who got you this far is going to take you the rest of the way. God is a faithful God. Reflect on his hand of deliverance. He's done things in the past to prepare you for the present. And so you can handle whatever he puts before you. Man, when I was called into the ministry at age 19, I felt God was calling me to preach, and I didn't know if it was on a mission field. I didn't know if it was in student ministry for the rest of my life or if it was in pastoral ministry. I didn't know what all of that involved. And I was, and everyone who knows me from age 19 and younger can testify that I was very much an introvert. And I thought back, and I remembered when I was in high school and I became the, the president of FFA. At Madison County, we, called, we were called Chief Redneck. I don't know what they're called now. Uh, very few ladies actually took FFA back then, and now a lot of them do. I'm glad. But, but I was in FFA, and I wanted to 
uh, serve. I loved the competitions. And, and then as president, it gave me a lot of opportunities. But I was very much an introvert. And they said, you know, well, David Whitehead, our advisor, said, now you've got to go to businesses all over Madison County and ask them to buy ads for a calendar. So you need to talk to all these uh, business heads all over the county. And I'm like, man, I've got to go talk to people. And by the way, you have to uh, be the uh, officiate of, of the meetings and, and lead those meetings. And then by our banquet, we'll have hundreds of people. By, by the way, their banquet fills this building now. They've been having their banquets here for years, and, and they fill this building. And at the banquet, you're going to have to speak to hundreds and hundreds of people. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do that. I began to pray, and God gave me the ability to do that, to get through that, to survive that somehow. I remember being in FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and, and Mike Osborne was our new sponsor there, and he says, we've got to have student huddle leaders. Technically and legally, it can't be a teacher here. It's, we have to have student huddle leaders. And so, Robbie, I want you to be a huddle leader. So you've got to teach people. You've got to sit with a small group of people. You've got to teach those people. This was all in high school. And this introvert all of a sudden found himself through clubs like FFA and FCA. Now I've got to stand in front of people and I've got to talk to people. And that's just not me. It's just not who I am. But God enabled and empowered me to do that. I couldn't do it on my own, so I had to rely on his strength. And even to this day, I have to rely completely on him to be able to stand before you this morning. But when God called me into the ministry, I said, well, if he could allow me to speak to those boys who were in FFA, and, and some of them may be here this morning, but if you didn't own the crew I had to talk to while they were back there spitting their tobacco juice in their Mountain Dew bottle, man, that was a rough crew. It makes talking to you guys easy this morning. But God said, if you can talk to that crew, if you can stand in front of them, you can stand in front of my people and preach my word. And so God says, look back at how I've worked in your past. The same God who's enabled and empowered you in the past, who has delivered and redeemed you in the past, is the same God who will have his hand on you in the present and in the future. You say, but you don't know how deep of a, a, a place of despair I seem to be. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 40. I waited patiently on the Lord. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. He put a song of praise in my mouth. Many will hear it. They will, they will see that. They, they will ultimately do what? Put their trust in the Lord because of the way we live, the way God redeems us. Reflect on God's hand of deliverance throughout your life. Secondly, this morning, release the past and all that holds you back. It's good to take time to reflect on the past, but you can't live in the past. You can't stay there. And so verse 18, he says, do not remember the past events. Don't be in a state of constantly always thinking about the past. Pay no attention to the things of old. Reflect on it, learn from it, and then move on. Let it go. Don't try to live there. Learn from it, but don't live in it because the best is always yet to come for the people of God. So release the past and all that holds you back, the hurts, the heartaches, as well as the victories. 
Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Paul says, it's not that I've arrived, I haven't attained, I'm not as mature spiritually as, as I want to be. But he says, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward that which is ahead, I press on toward that I call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead. He said, that's the one thing. Remember that, that movie? Uh, some of you remember this back in the 80s or 90s, maybe that movie City Slickers. Billy Crystal's talking to Curly. Remember Curly? He's the, the cowboy, and he just seems to have it all together. And he says, man, how do you have it all together like that? And, and, and old Curly just holds up a number one. He said, you got to find your one thing. you got to find your one thing. Well, for Paul, that was pressing on toward the high call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, you know, I've got to forget what is behind. There are some things in my past that I don't want to remember because I was a, a persecutor of the church. I was standing there overseeing when Stephen was stoned to death. I had Christians killed and put in prison as an authority. There are things in my past that cause me to realize that I'm the chief of sinners. He wants to let those things go. But he also had a, a beautiful resume, a list of of things that would make a religious person say, man, I'm pretty good. And he says, those things that are to my credit are but rubbish, garbage, dung, depending on the translation that you're reading. He says, those things are refuse. I, I let those things go, those bragging rights, those past victories. One of the most dangerous things for some Christians and many churches is that we try to build the future on past victories. And we get so caught up talking about the good old days. Man, remember when God did this? Remember when God did that? That we don't let those things go and say the best is yet to come. Release the past. Release all that holds you back. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Find your one thing. Press on toward the high call of God. If it's time to turn the page, focus on the call of God in your life. Let some things go this this morning, and for some of you, maybe this afternoon in a room all by yourself somewhere, you need to let some things go. Many of you this morning, you just need to release some things. If they're trivial things that you've been holding on to, frustrations, complaints, where somebody's done you wrong, remember it's the glory of a man to overlook a matter. And so some of us just need to... Stamp it with Fido, F-I-D-O. Fido, remember that. Forget it and drive on. Let it go. What if everybody did that with their road rage, right? Forget it. Drive on. There's going to be some wives telling their husbands this coming week, Fido, forget it. Drive on. You don't have to pay them back for that. Let it go. We've got to release some things, the little things, but sometimes the big things. We need to learn. Say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? And then let it go. Let it go and move on. Release the past and all that holds you back. Number three, renew your vision for the next season of life. Renew your vision for the next season of life. What was Israel experiencing? The hand of God, the judgment of God, they were going to go through a season of captivity again, but God would restore them, God would redeem them, and he would say, look, I am about to do something new. I believe there's messianic prophecy here, uh, the coming of Jesus Christ that we just celebrated. But he says, even now it is coming. Do you not see it? 
Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You might be in a dry place spiritually, but I'm going to bring you to a place of refreshing and restoration. He says, the animals get this. The animals of the field, they'll honor me, the jackals, the ostriches, because I will provide water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. And so there's some uh, right now, not yet kind of prophecies happening here. And a lot of times, those messianic prophecies to Israel included both the first and the second coming of Christ. And it's hard to distinguish because Israel's history, we're kind of in a, a, a bracket, if you will, called the church age. But Israel's history, and I don't believe God's finished with Israel. It kind of came to a conclusion, but we'll pick back up again. And God still has his hand on them as he prepares them for what's in store. But in the moment they were to trust in a God who had the ability to bring about a season of refreshing in their life, 27% of the Bible is prophetic. 27% of the Bible speaks of what would have been future events at the time it was written. And I believe that's because people need hope. People need something to look forward to. People need to know that the best is yet to come, that there's a season of redemption that's coming, that's drawing nigh in their life. They need a vision for the future. And so over a fourth of the Bible is giving to say, yes, the best is yet to come. Yes, I'm not finished with you. The problem is, as we get older and life tends to change, we learn that things aren't the same and we're ready for God to do a new thing, but we get so caught up in missing those old things, those, those former things that we haven't let go, that we don't see the new. I'll confess, I'm struggling with that at the season of life known as middle age. Don't worry, I'm not having a middle age crisis. Baby, I'm not going to buy a convertible or a motorcycle or anything like that. But, but man, I'm at a season of transition in life. And I miss, as, as I think about both of Tina's parents and her brother being with the Lord today and at Christmas time, I miss that we would have gotten in the car on Christmas Day and driven to her parents' house and it would have been a house full and there would have been a celebration. And God is saying, don't get so caught up there that you miss the new things that I'm about to do. Now, I hope that doesn't mean grandchildren anytime soon or anything like that. But that I'm in a new season of life. And that I have more time to spend with my wife doing chores, I mean, doing ministry and other things. This new season is something we should look forward to through the transitions of life. When I think of my mentor being in his 90s, Dr. Bill Bennett saying, man, God is doing the greatest work in my life during these days. It reminds me that, man, I've got things to look forward to. And so if we're not careful as a church, as a nation, or as a family, or as individuals, we can get so caught up saying, remember how good things used to be? Remember when it was like this? Remember when we did this? And this was, so that's great, but God wants to do a new thing, a refreshing thing in your life. And some of you are older than me, and you're like, I don't know, how, how much time do I have? None of us know how much time we have. We need to live like Jesus came yesterday, died today, and or, or, or died and rose again today and is coming again tomorrow. 
Look at what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says. I believe this is a word for somebody this morning that if you didn't hear anything else I shared with you, you're going to take home these three verses. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. God wants to do a new work in your life. He wants to give you a vision for the time that you have left on planet earth. Renew your vision for that next season. Find some time alone with God. Write in your journal. See how his hand is at work and say, God, show me what this new season is all about. And while I've learned from the past and while I'm inspired by the past, let me rejoice in what you have in store in the days ahead. And by the way, if he calls us home, to die is gain, right? So the best is yet to come either way. And then number four, rejoice in the present. Rejoice in the present as you declare his praise. Just like you can get caught up living in the past, you can get caught up trying to live out the future before you get there. Rejoice in the present. As he wraps this text up here, verse 21, the people I formed for myself will declare my praise. You, as my people, Israel, God is saying, you're going to be restored. You're going to be declaring my praise. You're going to be making me known throughout the world. Ultimately, Messiah would come through the first time at Christmas to show us what life and love is all about, to die for our sins, to rise, to give us life and life more abundantly. We would learn how to live that life in him and for him. And if 27% of the Bible is prophetic, yet much of it is about the past, all of it teaches us how to live in the present, how to live today. And so when you think about the prophetic material in the Bible, don't, don't get so caught up in the vision and, and not only the the apocalyptic literature about the consummation of the ages and wondering what's happening in the Middle East and how all this is going to unfold and is the church going to be ready and that sort of thing, that we don't forget the purpose of all that being revealed is so that today we'll live for Jesus Christ. Today we'll witness for Jesus Christ and work for him and serve him so that when he comes we'll be found faithful. And if you are maybe uh, somebody here that's much younger than me and you're like, how do I get in on God's will for my life? Who am I going to marry? How will that unfold? This is what I would share with those students who are making their way back down from North Carolina today. How will all of that unfold? And, and where will I live? And what will my job be? I would tell them, look, you take Jesus by the hand and walk with him today. Because if you're walking with Jesus hand in hand, then you're not going to miss out on where he goes and where he wants to take you. The way you miss out on the will of God is by not walking with God and walking with Jesus Christ. Be found faithful doing what God has called you to do. Reading an article this week that reflected on the life and ministry of Dr. Adrian Rogers, I was reminded of a story that he told a group of pastors. He he talked about a father who had his son and his daughter in the ocean 
and they were playing, and they didn't realize how bad the undertow was. The daughter could swim. The son, the little boy, couldn't swim. And so the dad was kind of holding him on his shoulders before he realized, uh, you know, how you kind of, your feet go down and you bounce back up, and he wasn't touching the bottom anymore. And, And he couldn't get back in, and his daughter was swimming around him, and she had long since had not been able to touch the bottom, and they realized we're drifting out fast. This is not good. And so he couldn't hold on to both of them and swim at that time. He was trying his best to get both of them back in, and he finally looked at his daughter, and he said, baby, you remember how I taught you how to float on your back? And she said, yes. And he said, I want you to stay right here and float on your back. Remember how we did it in the pool, and you can float on your back forever and not get tired, and you can just you can float and just kind of kick a little bit and, and, and breathe, and you could, you could float all day. And she goes, yes, Daddy, I know how to do that. And she was with confidence saying, no problem, Dad. And he said, well, I'm going to take little brother in, and when I get in, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And so she began to float on her back, and he, he takes the little boy, and he's having to fight it much harder than he thought. He, he was totally spent by the time he got back to where his feet could touch again. And he runs, and he takes the little boy up and finally alerts the lifeguards and says, look, my daughter is out there. We've got to go get her. And so a lifeguard found a kayak that both of them could get in, and they made their way back out there. And when they found her, she was right there floating on her back, big smile on her face. And he embraced her, and he says, baby, thank you so much. for, for I, I knew you could do it, but you were, you were floating on your back, and Daddy is so proud of you. And she goes, well, what's the big deal, Daddy? I was just, you, you told me you were coming back for me. I was just doing what you told me to do until you came back. He said, imagine when Jesus comes back for us. Are are we going to be standing on a cliff somewhere just waiting? Lord, is today the day? I don't know when he's coming back, but I just want to be found doing what he's called me to do until he returns. In his power, through the Spirit of God, faithful and obedient to the work he's got. Listen, live in the presence. Declare his praise in the presence. He formed us for himself. Live for him. Live for his glory. What does that praise sound like? Would you turn to Psalm 103 as we close? I'm going to ask Jeremy to come as we look at this passage. Psalm 103. You're familiar with this one. Many of you have it memorized. Here's what the praise sounds like. My soul, praise the Lord. Your translation may say, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, praise His holy name. My soul, praise the Lord and do not forget all of His benefits, His goodness to me. He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with goodness, your youth. I'm liking this part more and more. (laughs) Your youth is renewed like the eagle. Anybody need a dose of that this morning? Need your path redeemed, your soul restored, your sins 
forgiven, your youth renewed like the eagles. That's the God we serve. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed.